You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello, welcome to our podcast. This is Abraham. This is Shane. And this is our podcast called Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. I don't know why I do that like that every time, but I feel like maybe because I'm happy that I finally nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we started that weird, but that's okay. Welcome to what we're doing. That's fine. Yeah. I think <laughs> and why we're, why we're doing with it. Lead poisoning. There you go. Which is to say we're talking about lead poisoning. <laughs> so, but hold on. Let me do my intro really quick. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, Shane, have you ever used paint? Yes, I have. Did that paint contain lead? Not that I am aware of, but I assume not. Probably not. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Have you ever noticed when you go to a gas station that it says unleaded gasoline on the label? Yes, I have. Do you know what that means? I have literally no idea. Yeah, I always wondered when I saw that because as far back as I can remember, it always said unleaded and I thought, what's the point in saying what it's not? Because there's a lot of things it's not. Presumably, it also doesn't contain like radioactive neutron stars or something but like you don't see that on the label <laughs> oh man how cool would that be though i know so we get to talk about heavy metal oh my god i just i just saw that slipknot is touring with behemoth in europe and i wish i could see behemoth live <laughs> cool <laughs> but we're only talking about a specific type of heavy metal which is lead ah yes yes lead the the infamous metal yep lead lead i think there should be a song there Anyway, specifically, we're talking about lead poisoning and how it affects the brain. I feel like people from the 1950s and 60s should hear this. Yes. It's <laughs> going to be an interesting ride through history. So let's actually, let's do a little background here. We'll journey back far in time, as far as about 9,000 years ago. Lead has been found that far back in artifacts of human culture, including just various things even like pottery and cooking utensils and stuff like that yeah so people used lead for decorative purposes such as pottery and jewelry but also for bodily purposes such as cosmetics contraception and even consumed as a stimulant which in hindsight sounds really bad <laughs> for all all of those things <laughs> every those one of those things, that's, yeah. that's bad yeah. apparently lead acetate which is created when acetic acid is added to lead which is done, for example, to make dyes, it is very sweet. So people used it in sweeteners to improve the taste of food. Yes, it is extremely toxic, but they didn't know that at the time. Yeah. So, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of people that were like, whoops. So one thing to know about lead is it's considered relatively soft for metal, which is it's fairly malleable at room temperature, and it's very easy to smelt at higher temperatures. Kind of like Metallica, soft metal. Exactly. <laughs> soft metal. <laughs> And Slipknot while we're at it. Yeah, that's fine. So, <laughs> so it was useful for a system in which it was not going to be hot, but it needed to be in a very particular shape. Enter water pipes. Ah. And the Romans used lead to build many of their water pipe systems, among the first in the world, in fact. Although there has been some speculation that lead poisoning contributed to King Alexander's crazed expansion for the overall downfall of the Roman Empire. However, some more current research actually suggests instead that the buildup of sort of material that would form on the inside of the lead pipes would actually sort of function as a coating on the lead and would prevent the lead from leaching into the water system in very large quantities. So there is a suggestion that probably there wasn't a lot of lead poisoning happening as a function of their water pipes specifically, although there might be if it was being used as a as contraception or as a sweetener for food. 
Yeah, that's the first time I've ever heard. Like, I imagine like, oh, this cup of coffee could use you. He's like, I, do you have sugar in the raw? No, I'll take lead. <laughs> there you go. A little paint. I a little bit. Just dribble just, some paint just, in just here. A, just a dollop of paint. I don't want whipped cream. <laughs> so lead fell in and out of favor for some time. So let's fast forward to the 20th century, specifically to 1921. Charles Kettering was a manager at General Motors in their research department in Dayton, Ohio, and his department had been tasked with finding out why there was a quote-unquote knocking sound in the combustible engines of their cars. Right. The cars at the time, they had these cool engines that were very popular and they were selling tons of cars, but they would hear this knock, knock, knock. And if you watch old movies, you'll hear some of this in reference on old cartoons. They'll depict an old car that did this knocking sound. And that was something they were really trying to fix this. And so lucky for them, in a way, Charles gets a report from one Thomas Midgley, I think Midgley, Midgley maybe, but I think it's Midgley. I want to say Midgley. Yeah, I would say Midgley. That's definitely a 1920s name. So much so, right? (laughs) So from Thomas Midgley Jr. And he's a young engineer at the company. And Thomas had been there for a while. He'd been working on this thing. And he had found this very uncommon compound of lead called tetraethyl lead. He had tried many different chemicals up to this point to try and reduce that engine knocking and had even found a pretty successful strategy with ethanol. However, seemingly for at least capitalism reasons, they went with lead. And I think it was because either Charles Kettering or someone else at General Motors also owned like some lead company or something that either produced or mined lead or whatever. There was something like that going on. Anyway, they had a difficult time selling it initially because the toxicity of lead was known at the time, but through a series of very complicated events that I'm not going to go into because it would seriously take hours, lead became relatively commonplace in gasoline because it was successful at reducing that knocking sound that you would hear in the engine. That's interesting. So they had gasoline, they added metal to it to stop things from knocking into each other. Yes, specifically that tetraethyl lead. So that's actually one pretty interesting application of lead another one we want to talk about is the lead that was used in paint so i feel like this one is kind of this one gets brought up a lot is lead paint and stuff like that yeah as we mentioned earlier lead had been used in dyes for thousands of years and adding lead to paint altered the color of the paint and this is the color of the 1960s and before so like you'll see paint from you know that era would have this in it it also results in the paint drying faster and paint being more resistant to moisture it seemed to be a pretty remarkable invention at the time to greatly improve the robustness of paint which is a thing that i did not know was a problem i mean i believe that before its color would be affected by sunlight and weathering very easily. I think it was washed off relatively easily, so they had to constantly reapply it. And this miraculous thing with lead came along and all of a sudden it's like not very affected by weather. It has this really specific color that you could only seemingly achieve by adding lead to the paint. And so that was the color. That was the color of the 1960s and then anything that was made in the 1960s that went on. But that was a product of that paint. And so just kind of an interesting thing and again as i mentioned it was known as early as 1886 that people should avoid direct contact with lead-based paint and specifically it was known for expecting mothers and for children who seemed to be particularly susceptible to it that's crazy to think that like they knew about it in like the 1800s and all like almost a hundred years later they were still using lead-based paint yep (laughs) oh consumerism (laughs) right and capitalism and whatnot. Capitalism and all that fun stuff. So, nevertheless, it wasn't until 1978 that the U.S. government banned the use of lead-based paint for most circumstances, and not until the 1980s that lead was required to be removed from gasoline. So, it was still ever-present in all the things around us. 
Yeah, and lead was commonly used in many aspects of daily life, and the industry of mining and producing lead really fought hard against the scientific consensus that lead was bad for you. I wonder if that's happened with other industries. Hmm. We're looking Hmm. at you, coal industry. (laughs) And petroleum, generally speaking. And just the diamond industry, too. That's not good for people. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, they went so far as to not only downplay the problems of lead, the industries here that were selling and mining this, but even to suggest that lead was good for you and good for the environment. (laughs) So... That sounds like a lot of the milk advertisements, too. Sure. And also, again, like gasoline. So what's interesting among the client change denial people is that their message is very unclear. And some of them are like, well, yeah, we're affecting climate change, but that's good. And then the other side of their mouth, they're like, well, no, we're not affecting climate change. But even if we were, that'd be good. (laughs) So make up your mind here. And here's it all comes back to like it still goes against scientific consensus. Yeah, exactly. That's that cynicism of science. And especially you find this particularly prevalent on people who they have a financial stake in what the outcome would be. So absolutely. Okay, so the levels of lead in children and adults reached incredibly high ranges in the 1950s and maintained at unsafe levels until the 1990s. So four decades more, actually, because it was late 1990s and and even into the early 2000s. But it has consistently been declining in level with the more stringent regulations around lead. So minus those crisis incidents, of course, and we'll talk about some of those in a little bit in this discussion. But yes, there was this peak level of toxicity I was looking at some graphs. I had a hard time understanding exactly what they were pointing out in the way that they were depicting this. But in those 1950s, you had very prevalent lead toxicity. And then the levels have just been dropping consistently since then. Yeah. You know, I always found stories like this really interesting. Like there was a few years ago where there was a playground that they found like arsenic in the dirt. Yikes. And everybody like had like this whole thing. But they were like, literally, for it to be even like to make somebody sick, you'd have to eat a wheelbarrow full of the dirt to get. So they were like, <laughs> we're still going to clean it up, but just so everybody's not freaking out and you still come to the park. So lead, much worse Yeah, in this regard. So we're going to talk about this. What does it do? As fun as history is, and we kind of dig into this, let's get into why this is such an important topic and relevant to psychology. Why does this matter? All right. Well... For one thing, there are many ways that lead can be absorbed in the body. It can be absorbed through the eyes, through the nose, through the mouth, and even through the skin. And it's important to know we do have metals in our body that are part of our normal functioning. So, for example, we want to eat foods that contain certain metals in small amounts, such as iron, zinc, and copper. These are found in our foods. Those are found in our normal daily living. They're in our bodies, and they are essential for our normal functioning in specific quantities. Lead was not on that list. And if we never had any lead in our body, we would be perfectly healthy, all else being constant, of course. For example, if you had no lead in your body, but then you got it bullied, it'd still mean you're unhealthy. But for normal sort of functioning here, <laughs> if you have if you had no lead in your body whatsoever, you would be fine. If you had no iron in your body, you'd be in serious trouble. But lead, we do not need any of. Yeah, lead's bad news. So... Here's what ends up happening. So when lead gets into your body, it mimics those other helpful metals and attaches to the same enzymes that those metals would bind to. It can bind to our bones, like a really crappy Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) 
where it has a half-life of 20 to 30 years, blood cells with a half-life of 7 to 10 weeks, and other soft tissues such as muscles with a half-life of 7 to 12 months. So it can bind itself to all of those things. And constant exposure, of course, prolongs how long that it'll actually remain there. But yeah, I'm just imagining now Wolverine who, like, has claws come out and it's like the metal's so soft he hits something and just falls right off. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, he's just sick all the time because his, ske- his skeleton is literally <laughs> poison. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the plot point for Logan, that movie. Yeah, yeah that's it. But but we digress. <laughs> yes, definitely. All right, so in addition to how it can be absorbed in different parts of your body, a really important fact about lead is that because we have these metals in our body and the lead can imitate those metals, that means that it can pass through our blood-brain barrier. And this is a filter in our brain that keeps out most substances that would otherwise damage the brain. It's actually a very good filter, and it'll keep out most things that will damage our brain. Lead, however, it mimics calcium specifically, which can pass through that blood-brain barrier and is able to directly enter the brain, and therefore the brain is the most sensitive to and the most easily damaged by lead. Oh, man, and that's crazy to think about, like, that it mimics calcium that closely. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. One thing that lead can impact in the brain is development by preventing dendrite connections, neuronal growth, myelin coverings, and ion channel organization. So attenuating the process of brain development, therefore, is most dangerous for children. And furthermore, children tend to be closer to the ground where lead dust can be stirred up. They tend to be dirtier. Kids are filthy. And lead can be found in soil, and they are much more likely to put things that contain lead into their mouths, so they are way more susceptible to dangers of lead from both opportunity and how their bodies are affected by it. And furthermore, as we mentioned, because when it was in paint, it was that lead acetate thing or acetic acid in the lead, it was sweet. And so you'd often find kids actually licking the paint on the walls because it tasted sweet. And so another problem there that, again, it's just the things that they do that sort of makes them more susceptible. And now, as I mentioned, with how lead gets absorbed in our bones and muscles and blood and whatnot, it accumulates slowly. And it is toxic at virtually any dose, but it can take a very long time for those symptoms to really start to show up. And it takes a very long time to leave the body. And while it's in the body, it is wreaking havoc on our organs, including our brain from the moment it gets in there. And it will continue to do so, especially as it accumulates with constant and continuous exposure to sources of lead. See, now when you mentioned the kids licking the paint, I can only go back to Willy Wonka and how problematic the snozberries wallpaper was. <laughs> that's what it was. Snozberries are just lead. Yeah, that's it. It's like a nightmarish, it's like a more nightmarish version of Willy Wonka. Like Willy Wonka was already <laughs> creepy in itself, but now you've added like this other layer of like now you've got brain damage as a result. Yeah, there's just like there's LSD on the wall and lead and all kinds of stuff and kids are just licking and they're like, hmm. I feel like LSD might be better than lead. <laughs> Probably, actually. But don't quote me on that. I think it's much less toxic. Please don't quote me on that. One of the other dangerous effects is that the symptoms can be absent for a long time while continuous lead exposure is damaging to us. But again, there are no recognizable symptoms, so we don't even notice. Like you mentioned before, like it's wreaking havoc on our organs and our brain for long periods of time, but we don't even notice until it's probably too late. Right, exactly. By the way, speaking of LSD, uh, we are doing a upcoming episode on discussion of like psychedelics and stuff. It'll be kind of fun. So I can't wait. Just just a little teaser. I mean, we have a special guest on for that one. I'm excited about. So. 
how exactly lead affects the brain is actually not totally understood yet. As we mentioned, we know that it does prevent dendrite development and some of those synapse connections. But recent research has shown that brain-derived neurotropic factor, or BDFN, this is a protein in the brain that facilitates that synapse development, and lead seems to disrupt the process by which that occurs. And synapse formation is critical for learning new things, because whenever we're building a skill or memory or understanding of anything, that means specifically that we're connecting synapses in our brain. So if our synapses cannot develop properly because they're being impeded by lead, then learning and memory are the first things to notice that are going to be impacted. So it might look like they're having trouble learning, and they are. And that's because there is lead that is preventing those synapses from forming. And those are pretty serious functions we need, right? Learning and memory. Like we definitely need those things in our lives. One would think. Yeah, you know. For mothers, their babies can be born prematurely and they can have low birth weight, can have low rates of growth, or women can miscarry or have stillbirths where there is lead toxicity. So there are a lot of serious problems that go along with pregnant women and babies in utero and whatnot. Totally. And for children, as we mentioned, they're particularly susceptible for many reasons. For one thing, they're constantly learning and growing as they're starting to come up in the world. And so preventing those synapse connections from forming and dendrite growth, well, that's important. And the fact that they tend to put it in their mouths anyway. Right. And so in addition to that, exposure to lead can also lead to things like anemia, brain damage, damage to their nervous system, hearing problems, learning difficulty, lower IQ, headaches, and behavior problems and aggression. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. So don't let your kids lick walls, please. (laughs) Just don't. Anyway, so for adults, lead toxicity can cause headaches, joint and muscle pain, abdominal pain, high blood pressure, reduced and misformed sperm, memory difficulty, nerve problems, digestive problems, and mood disorders. So, I mean, (laughs) the more we get into this, lead is seriously bad news. Right. And so let's go back to when we were talking about as lead started becoming available in the world and people were using it for things like contraception. Well, there's a problem. First of all, it's not going to work as contraception, except in the fact that it might cause miscarry or stillbirths. And second, in that while it's in the woman's body, she is particularly susceptible to the dangers of lead anyway, assuming that this is, women are usually the targets of contraception anyway. So that was probably where that was being used. Things like cosmetics and stuff. But then let's go back to when people were driving cars. And initially cars came on the scene. They weren't all that common, but as we all well know, it became the American dream to have your house with a car and a white picket fence and cars became extremely prevalent. And so we we're talking about how this all was taking place in the 1920s when they, well, the late 1920s, when they found out that adding lead to the gasoline would prevent that knocking in the car engines. What that meant was the exhaust from the car gasoline was going out into the air and people were just breathing it all the time. Ugh. And so there was just tremendous amounts of exposure to lead in the exhaust from cars. And especially you can imagine in cities, this is probably the worst because there are so many cars and it's just filling up all of the available spaces where we're breathing in the atmosphere that's now full of lead. And this is, this is mothers, this is children, this is adults, this is animals, this is everyone. And now, as we mentioned, there was that hypothesis that lead may have led to like the downfall of the Roman Empire or maybe caused Alexander the Great to go be a conquistador of the world. (laughs) But (laughs) another thing here, and I've only seen this sort of peripherally speculated, so I don't actually know. But if you look at like rates of crime and murder rates, they peaked around a similar time and have declined on a, along a relatively similar rate as lead has declined. Huh. So like we have fewer murders 
and serial killers now than we've ever had and for most of recorded human history, at least in the last couple of centuries. And we also have the lowest amount of lead. Totally correlation, probably not a cause effect there. But if we do see that lead causes things like aggression and other behavior problems and learning disorders, well, it's not a huge stretch to say that that may have been a contributing factor to some people with those problems. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's not it's not that much of a stretch considering we know what happens when there is like some level of toxicity. And let's also consider just just for funsies in that period of time, we had World War Two and the Vietnam War and some other wars that have taken place. The Korean War. The Korean War. And all of those things were within that same time frame. And yeah, we still have wars going on today. That's absolutely a thing. And I don't think, and we've been, people have been killing each other for centuries. So we can't certainly lay this completely at the feet of lead. There's just a correlation. And I don't think that there's a cause effect relationship there. And I think that if we were to speculate wildly, I would suspect that there is some relation between lead and those things as a contributing factor and not a causal factor. Does that make sense? You could definitely say it's an ingredient in a soup. Yeah, potentially. potentially. We don't know for sure. No one's ever shown that. I think it'd be impossible to show that. I don't, like I said, I don't think that we can scientifically say that there's an effect, but I, I just wonder because learning about how these things sort of track with one another, it's interesting to see. Oh yeah, absolutely. So with all that being said, there are still some situations where lead poisoning and the issue of lead poisoning and lead toxicity are pretty prevalent. And I think that brings us to our conversation about Flint, Michigan. Okay, so just as a quick review, in 2014, the drinking water source was changed from Lake Huron to the Flint River in the town of Flint, Michigan. Okay, And there was inadequate treatment for the water, and so the lead pipes that were used leached lead into the water. And this was in 2014. It wasn't until 2016 that an official crisis was declared, but over 100,000 residents were affected and had to use imported bottled water for everything. And I mean everything. If you imagine how much we use water for, they had to use it for their cooking, for their cleaning, for brushing their teeth, for, of course, for drinking water, and even for showering. They had to like import water because they could not trust the water that was available through their system. Since 2017, though, officials have claimed, and that's I think that's going to be the strong emphasis there, claimed yeah. that the water is now safe, but many people still have concerns and have expressed doubt in the quality of water. I mean, there are still, I think Elon Musk just last week or like the last couple of months has brought in like water filtration systems just in case because there's still no evidence that the water has been fixed or like the, the pipelines have been fixed. Well, there's evidence to suggest that they have addressed the issue to some extent, but I think that they haven't convincingly demonstrated that it's entirely safe. And that's what people are worried about, because as we said, we now know how incredibly dangerous any amount of lead in the body can be. So it's not sort of like, oh, it's all right. We'll just have a glass of water here and there. It's like, no, no exposure is good. Avoid at all costs. We do not need this in our body. We understand that. Lead can be useful for many things, but not in our bodies. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So so I guess the main point here is that lead is not good. Yeah. Well, and I think specifically just how it disrupts so many important bodily functions. Like it's it's so bad for our brains and it stays in us for so long and it accumulates and it's immediately toxic at about any level that it's in our body. So it's just something to be really I think careful about and to understand how it affects things like it prevents our learning and, and it prevents our memory and it, it can result in behavior problems. Absolutely. Well, this is kind of a, a short one. So yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward, right? Like, so we understand kind of like at the end of the day, lead in our systems, it cannot be good. It's easy to get into our systems if it's present in our daily lives. And it causes a host of issues that range from developmental issues, memory, physical health issues, and things like that too. So it does a lot more than just say like, make somebody sick. Right. And now I want, I want to contradict myself just a little bit because I sort of went on this rant about what lead is correlated to. And so it's easy to see lead as a boogeyman for everything when you learn about how dangerous it is. And to that point, we cannot downplay the dangers of lead. However, I do want to head off any conspiracies about how lead is the cause of all the problematic behavior in the world. I don't want to imply that that's really where I was going with this. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think, or some of them prefer conspiracy research or whatever. It's not. It's not the problem of all the things in the world, but it is extremely dangerous and it can result in some very serious deleterious health outcomes. And I don't think it's useful to say that it caused any of those things at best it was a contributing factor in some aspect and even that we don't have any real evidence for that was just my sort of saying it's interesting to see how those things moved together and to point out that like some of those things as i said people have been killing each other for a very long time we've had problems with aggression for a very long time way before we were systematically implementing lead into our lives and lead has been in our lives for like thousands of years so it's just I want to be careful to head off the idea that like lead is the cause of all of our problems. It's not. It's just something that's been around for a long time. We know that it has a lot of problematic effects and at best it was a contributing factor sometimes in some circumstances, but never the cause. I will 100% back up what you said. Thank you. One of the main technical points that we wanted to get to too is that lead that's accumulated and that lingers in our bodies it can be absorbed in most parts of our body, and it, what it does is it mimics the process of normal metals. So, so when it gets into our system, it does kind of like take over for where those other metals that are important for us, like iron and and zinc and all that, it, it does mimic those things. But furthermore, where the lead ends up binding specifically can cause it to linger in our body for a very long period of time, weeks for blood, months for soft tissue, and years for bone. So uh, once it gets in your system, it can stay in your system for quite some time. And although I don't think we clarified this earlier, although we do have zinc, copper, and iron and other metals in our body, like manganese and whatnot, don't go out and eat those things. Those things occur naturally in the foods that we eat. And so that's how you should get them. Don't chew on copper pipes and whatnot. There is a level of toxicity of other chemicals that when you absorb, just because they're good for you in certain doses doesn't mean that more is better. There is really a calibrated dose that's appropriate and we get that from our food. So don't go putting those things in your body in excess. Yeah. Please don't go swallow a roll of pennies. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. To that end, basically, I think the better recommendation, even beyond that one, is just speak to your doctor. If you are, in fact, experiencing like that you are having a deficit of those certain metals, then your doctor will prescribe a supplement that is necessary or whatever you might need to take to be at healthy levels of it. But just first of all, don't think of us as a health podcast. And second of all, don't go consuming excessive amounts of metals because you think that it's going to be good for you because they are supposed to be in our body. And third of all, and actually this is really the first of all, listen to your doctor. Yep. Your doctor is the person to go to. Yep. <laughs> that, that's the first of all. I agree with that. We are simply here to provide a, an overview of information. Obviously, we didn't get into all of the in-depth stuff that goes along with this because this is supposed to be consumable. So we want to make sure that you get some access to this information. But yes, please, if you have any concerns, definitely consult with your medical doctor. 
Okay, I had one final take-home point. I just want to make sure that we we emphasize how this process seems to work is that the lead in the body, as it accumulates, it passes through the blood-brain barrier by mimicking calcium, and it prevents synapse formation and dendrite growth and other things like that. So it is extremely disruptive in the brain. And so that, I think, is all I had for take-home points and whatnot. Do you got anything else? I'm still going to go ahead and say that Metallica is soft metal, and that makes me, that makes <laughs> me feel really good. Perfect. Yeah. That's excellent. Okay. Well, so this is not a Metallica episode. One thing I do want to say is that we are currently doing a promotion right now. We're trying to learn a little bit more about our listeners. So if you have the time that we have a short survey that'll be available in the show notes for this episode and previous episodes beginning in the month of October. And we're going to be running this for a little while, at least a, a couple months, I expect. And in this, we just want to learn a little bit more about you. This is entirely for us. We're not going to sell your information. So only answer as much as you're comfortable for answering. But we kind of just want to know like how you heard about us and you know what you do for a living, that sort of stuff. So get an idea of how we can tailor this episode to best meet our audience and the kind of things that people are looking forward to hearing. And if you fill out that survey, then you will automatically get a sticker in the mail from us and you will be entered also into a drawing to win a free Why We Do What We Do shirt because wearing podcast shirts is the coolest thing that you can do. I 100% agree with that. That's, that's what all the cool teenagers do now. So there will be a link in the description to do that. Please go check that out. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can join us on Patreon for as little as just a few dollars a month. You can have access to our Discord server on up through getting access to uncut episodes, videos of us recording, bonus episodes that we record, and even be able to participate in a show if you get up to that level. And of course, it helps us out. It really helps us do what we do, which we really have a lot of fun doing. If not, you can always leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts or recommend us to a friend. And that always helps us out as well. Yep. I think you hit every point possible. All right. Well, thank you so much for recording with me today, Shane. Of course. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. This is Abraham. This is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.